0: Wedge Issues is brought to you by Wispolitics.com, a place where political insiders go for news, opinion, and campaign information. Once again, that's Wispolitics.com.
1: Brian Stile was born and raised in Janesville, Wisconsin, the same town House Speaker Paul Ryan calls home. When Ryan decided to retire from Congress after two decades representing Wisconsin's first congressional district, he endorsed Brian Stile for the seat. I'm Jesse O'Poyan, and this is Wedge Issues, a Cap Times podcast about the 2018 elections in Wisconsin. I sat down this week with, you guessed it, Brian Stile. And we talked about his background as an attorney for manufacturing companies, the lessons learned in the manufacturing industry he says he would take to Washington, his experience as a regent for the University of Wisconsin system, and some of his favorite things about living in Wisconsin. Stay tuned for that interview. But first, let's check in on what happened in the news this week. Welcome back to Wedge Issues, Eric Lawrence, It's been a while. It really has. I've missed you. I've missed you. I've
0: missed this. I it's think our, to...
1: I hope our listeners missed you too. I, I hope they're happy to have you back.
0: Oh, I hope so too. Let me know if you get any angry emails. Yeah. Um, 33 days
1: by my count until election day. Oh my goodness. Yeah. So close and yet so far away. I keep saying that, but it's true.
0: Well, as election day draws ever closer, let's Take a look back at the news that happened this week. There Um, was news that happened. There was news that happened. The the major news story nationally, of course, is the ongoing confirmation process of uh, Brett Kavanaugh to the Supreme Court. And this week, uh, things were put on hold during an FBI probe into allegations against Kavanaugh of sexual assault when he was in high school. And... In, on the state level, I mean, it's a big story here, too. And can you give us a sense, Jesse, of what elected officials and political candidates here have been sort of what they've been saying about this ongoing story?
1: Sure. You know, it's been pretty divided along partisan lines as it has been at the national level, too. Um, I think, you know, the the two big developments at the national level this week have been the completion of the FBI investigation and the call for a Senate vote and then the uh, President Donald Trump uh, mocking Kavanaugh's accuser, Christine Blasey Ford, at a rally earlier this week. So um, this has come up in conversation. Obviously, this is something that politicians are getting asked about in Wisconsin. Uh, you know, Notably, last weekend, State Senator Leah Vukmir, who's running for the U.S. Senate, said she thinks this is a, she's hearing from voters republican voters that they want Kavanaugh confirmed that they you know are are tired of this process being dragged on and she said she thinks this is something that's going to motivate republican voters to turn out to the polls assembly speaker robin voss said basically the same thing during a wis politics luncheon q and a this week um, he said this is something that he thinks is going to energize uh, the conservative base in a year where democrats have had the enthusiasm edge for most of the election cycle. Um, on the flip side, uh, Democrats are upset that uh, there are some legislative Republicans who signed a letter in support of Kavanaugh last month. This was before the assault allegations, but just you know, pledging their support, calling for a quick confirmation. There is a key line that some Democratic legislators have pointed out, which is that they see no reason, you know, not to confirm this man. Um, certainly. People who are opposing his confirmation see these allegations, these assault allegations as uh, plenty of of a reason to not confirm him. So, um, you know, we're hearing some criticism from Democrats on that, and some additional criticism directed at Governor Walker, who, when asked about Trump's uh, decision to mock, uh, the accuser, he said, he hadn't heard Trump doing that, and um, I think some on the left were looking for a more forceful condemnation from Governor Walker.
0: And for I believe also uh, Senator Tammy Baldwin, who Vukmir is challenging, she's a definite no vote.
1: She's a definite no vote, and she was a no vote before these allegations were made public, if I'm if I recall correctly, um, or or pretty close to that time. But she has uh, since then, you know, said that. These allegations are credible and serious.
0: Well, in in more squarely uh, state level news, there was um, a development this week regarding the Kimberly Clark plant closure and uh, a movement on the part of Republicans in in state government to create an incentives package to to keep the plant here. Uh, what's what's up with that? What happened this week?
1: Yeah. So this. has been an issue since February. That was when Kimberly-Clark announced that they were looking to close some plants throughout the country, and on the list were the plants in Nina and Fox Crossing. So not long after that announcement was made, Governor Walker said the state should offer a Foxconn-style incentive package to keep Kimberly-Clark here and keep those jobs here. It's about 600 jobs in the Fox Valley area. About 500 of those jobs are at the Cold Spring plant in Fox Crossing. It's been said that it's probably... There's probably no way around closing the Nina plant, which is about 100 jobs, but there's still talk, and Kimberly-Clark has delayed its decision to close the Cold Spring plant in Fox Crossing while they await a decision from the state uh, in terms of passing some sort of incentive package. So the Assembly passed this package back in February, but the Senate never took it up. There have not, up until this point, been enough votes in the Senate for this to pass. It would appear That it still could not pass the Senate without votes from Democrats, and it's not clear if it has those right now. So the latest news on this is that the Senate and Assembly have agreed to call an extraordinary session, and they've called that session for November 12th. That is a week after the election. And uh, the, the thought is that the Senate will take up the Assembly version of the bill. Um, it's possible that some changes to the bill would have to be made. That could either be done by the Senate and then sen- send it back to the Assembly, or it could be done by Governor Walker vetoing uh, some language in it. Um, it's also possible that it won't require changes, although I think the consensus is at this point is that it might. Throughout the course of the discussions on, on this extraordinary session, it has come up that they could take up other bills. Speaker Robin Voss mentioned taking up a bill to uh, require coverage for pre-existing conditions from insurers. That's another bill that the Assembly passed, but the Senate did not take up. But both Speaker Voss and, and Senate Majority Leader Scott Fitzgerald have said they're open to talking about other bills, but they haven't said really what those bills might be. And it's not clear what that session's going to look like at this point. It's still not clear whether that Kimberly-Clark package actually has the votes.
0: All right. Looking forward to, to hearing your interview with Brian Style. Thanks. It's good talking with you, Eric. Good talking with you, as always. Good to be back. Well,
1: let's start with the easiest of questions. Uh, tell me about yourself and why you're running for Congress.
2: Yeah, thanks. I'm I'm running because I think Washington needs problem solvers. People just have open, honest conversations and say, how do we want to move this country forward? What's the how do we raise wages? How do we lower the cost of health care? You know, how do we make our communities safer? How do we f- provide affordable, accessible education uh, to students so they can take advantage of kind of these jobs of the future uh, that we're seeing more and more of? And how do we fill that skills gap? Uh, My background, manufacturing. So I've worked in the manufacturing sector for the last 10 years. Uh, I worked at local manufacturing companies uh, in Rock County. Uh, I think it's a terrific private sector background that gives me uh, an understanding kind of firsthand of how often Washington gets in the way, uh, prevents economic growth, um, and a perspective of how we can put policies in place in Washington uh, that really begin to grow the economy. Uh, and provide those higher wage jobs with strong benefits uh, that we see coming back. Uh, But really, we need to take that next step uh, so more people have the opportunity to take advantage of these opportunities.
1: Before we started recording, we were talking about how nice it is to live in Wisconsin uh, because people are nice here, but uh, things are a little more contentious in D.C. Do you really want to go deal with that when you could just be hanging out here in Wisconsin?
2: (laughs) (laughs) You know, that's a great question. No, I I think more than anything, people, you know, the frustration with Washington is people just aren't getting stuff done. And so as I look at Washington, there's a need for people uh, with Wisconsin-style values to go out there and to get more work done on behalf of the American uh, American voter. And so, you know, being born and raised and living here, like you said, people are friendly. We were joking earlier. You know, if you go up to Lambeau Field and you go to a Packer game and you sit next to somebody that's not a Packers fan, uh, usually you say, welcome to Wisconsin, you know, welcome to Lambeau Field. And you can disagree without being disagreeable. And so that's, the, that's why we live here, right? We love to be able to go out, have conversations. You turn on your cable TV. Uh, You turn on cable news, you think everybody's at each other's necks. You walk out, you have conversations with people. Overall, people are really pleasant, wonderful people, having good conversations. Uh, They can disagree without being disagreeable. And we need more of that uh, mentality, more problem-solving, focused, how-do-we-get-stuff-done attitude. Uh, And if we do that, we're actually just going to get more done in Washington on behalf of the American people.
1: Uh, you were born in, and raised in Janesville, right? Yeah. How did that upbringing shape you in terms of uh, where you are in life now and how you would represent the district?
2: So I look at uh, my upbringing in Janesville and it really shaped my worldview in many ways. I mean, Janesville is a you know, manufacturing first city, uh, blue collar city, went to uh, public high school there, um, You know, went through... Uh, process where you know you worked with everybody. You didn't care about people's backgrounds. You didn't think about you know all the noise that's out there. It was a safe community to grow up in. You'd bike to school, uh you'd hang out with your uh with your buddies, uh you know, playing flag football or playing you know tackle football um and just having a great time and you realize the opportunities that are there. And then maybe the story of Jane's also though, right, is you know about ten years ago, uh you know, nine, ten years ago, uh, we lost the General Motors plant, and the town really fell on tough times. And so, as you saw in the uh, in the whole state, but in particular uh, in my hometown, unemployment went up in Janesville, uh, approaching thirteen percent. Five to six thousand people in that greater area lost their jobs, um, and it was kind of down and out. And there was a real choice to be had um, as to how uh, the the city we were going to rebound. And the choice was that answers were going to be provided by Madison at the state capitol or in Washington, D.C., or the answers resided locally in our home communities and civic organization, churches, individual liberty. Um, and as a city, I think we made the real clear choice that the answer resided uh, not in Washington, D.C.'s cookie-cutter uh, approach, but in, in, uh, in our home communities and civic organizations. And so I think what we saw is – the uh, the business community, uh, the workers, uh, our civic organizations, coming together to figure out how do we grow this economy to get these jobs uh, back. And the road we're not all the way to the, where we need to be, so let's not get ahead of ourselves. But if you look at where we're today versus where we were, but you know, eight, nine, ten years ago, it's pretty uh, dram- dramatic and remarkable how far we've come. Uh, when you see, as you're driving into Janesville now, you'll see billboards that say now hiring, you know, $15 an hour uh, with benefits. And we need to see more of that, and we need to get individuals the skills that they need to be able to take advantage of some of these jobs uh, and then to move folks up uh, the uh, the wage ladder uh, so that there's more family-sustaining jobs in our communities.
1: The first district has... for almost 20 years been represented by Paul Ryan. It's the two are basically synonymous at this point. Um, how does that affect the way that you run your campaign? Do you feel like you're running in the shadow a little bit? Are you um, kind of carrying on that mantle? Or um, I guess just how much does that factor into the way you're approaching this this race?
2: Well, I think it's really focused on how do you how do you grow the economy and take a step forward. And so I think everybody brings uh, to the table their own personal background a little bit. And so I think my background is different than, than, uh, than Paul's. Uh, you know, I've worked in the, the private sector, uh, manufacturing in particular, for the last 10 years. I bring that to the table. I've served on the, you know, I serve on the University of Wisconsin Board of Regents. I've been there for two and a half years, uh, focused in on education policy. How do we provide affordable, high-quality education? Uh, so I bring the education piece to the puzzle. And so I think my background sets me up well to be effective day one, uh, in Congress have given that opportunity uh, to represent Southeast Wisconsin. And so I think everybody brings to the table a little bit of their own background. I think my background uh, is unique to myself, but I think it's also uh, set me up with the right tools uh, to be effective uh, if given that opportunity.
1: How do you see, uh, if you were to describe the first congressional district to someone not from Wisconsin and, or even someone from a different part of Wisconsin, how would you do that?
2: I'd explain, if you were from Wisconsin, I'd say the 1st Congressional District looks a lot like Wisconsin. We have uh, cities like Racine and Kenosha and Janesville that are you know, Democratic-leaning areas, blue-collar, hard-working people. Uh, we have rural areas uh, with farms. Uh, we have tourist areas uh, with lakes. Uh, and you pick up the uh, the southern portions of Milwaukee County, Franklin, Oak Creek, uh, Hales Corners, Greendale and you look at the cross-section of the 1st District, it really looks like a cross-section of the state of Wisconsin. Uh, That's not the case in probably all the districts in Wisconsin. I think Wisconsin is probably the most representative of what Wisconsin looks like. Uh, In part, that's why this election is going to be a challenging election. It looks a lot like Wisconsin. This is not a uh, a heavily uh, Democratic or heavily Republican seat. This is a seat that's up the middle. Um, you know, I think it, it leans center right. But, you know, it's you got to go out there and you got to work and you got to meet people and you got to have those conversations. And that's what I'm doing day in and day out. I think the first district looks a lot like a cross section of the state of Wisconsin.
1: Yeah. Uh, and I, I know you've been asked about this in other interviews, but you you mentioned yeah, it is a challenging district because Wisconsin can go any direction any year. Uh, what does it feel like running as a Republican amid a year when everyone's talking about a blue wave?
2: yeah the blue, the blue wave conversation I say all the more reason to run so you know, I believe in some of these strong convictions that you know less government will drive growth forward that decisions are best made locally um, and so there's a real reason to run to advance those uh, those views and beliefs when I'm out there talking to people there's a real optimism uh, that's out there about the economic growth we're starting to see and about where we this, uh, economic wave could take us to if we if we continue the economic policies and if we put more economic policies in place that drive the growth forward. At the same time, there's a lot of frustration with the noise uh, and the dysfunction in Washington. And so I think bringing to the table a private sector background, uh, working in manufacturing, uh, having experience working in education, serving on the University of Wisconsin Board of Regents is really a great background to say, look, I agree with you. The dysfunction in Washington is frustrating. Um, it, it doesn't get more done. It gets less done and it's not what we need. And so as I look at it, you know, that frustration matches up with my frustration. And I think I bring a skill set to the table to be able to positively add to that conversation in Washington to get more work done and less focused on the partisan bickering and folks who want to make a name for themselves on cable TV rather than working in the trenches to get policy work done on behalf of the American people.
1: You mentioned your manufacturing background, um, which has been the majority of your your private sector career. What have you learned from that industry and what do you take from that to Washington?
2: The biggest thing I've learned uh, in a manufacturing background is how to solve problems and to do that with a collection of people from all different backgrounds. And so, you know, I'll, I'll, you go, I work at uh, Charter and that's It's a plastics manufacturing company. And if a line broke down, you'd pull together a team of people and you'd say, okay, how are we going to solve this problem? And how are we going to do it quickly? You don't worry about who gets credit for solving the problem. You don't worry uh, about which idea you use. You say... How are we going to actually go ahead and solve this problem immediately to get the line up and running? Because we've got to serve our customers. In Washington, the customer is the American voter. And you got to go out there with the mindset of how do we get this thing up and running again as quickly as possible to start getting work product done on behalf of the customer, the American voter.
1: Your opponent likes to needle you for the fact that you worked in manufacturing but weren't a manufacturer. Do you think that matters?
2: I think the experience in, uh, in the manufacturing sector, I think, is terrific. I, I think my background provides me uh, a terrific background. I mean, he, he likes to go down that path. Um, you know, the, uh, the Washington Post uh, came out today and gave him three Pinocchios uh, for his negative ad. And so I think that's what people are frustrated, typical politicians running false negative attacks, getting three Pinocchios, uh, whatever that is, right? I mean, it's like that tells you how misleading and misdirectional uh, his ad is. And so that's what's frustrating. People want to have a conversation about the issues. Let's talk about the issues. That's why as soon as I was successful coming out of the primary, I challenged them to debates. Let's have a conversation about the issues that are going to affect people's lives. Let's stop this false name calling. Uh, and let's get back to the table and try to uh, have a conversation about where we want to move the country and how we want to move it forward.
1: So when the two of you are on that debate stage, what do you think are going to be the biggest contrasts for voters to see in in that conversation?
2: I think you're gonna see one after the other, pocketbook issues, and you're gonna see a great uh, distinction between our two policy positions. He supports a government takeover of health care. That's, uh, that's, by most accounts a thirty two trillion dollar program. It would end Medicare as we know it. Uh, it would make illegal private insurance plans that people hold today. I believe in a stark contrast from that. I think we need to lower the cost of health care and improve quality and do that by putting patients and doctors at the center of the decision-making process, not put the government at the center of the decision-making process. Uh, I think you'll see a dichotomy on taxes. He supports raising taxes. I believe that the tax reforms that went through uh, have led, uh, in large part, to some of the economic growth we're seeing today. Uh, He wants to abolish ICE. I think that's a dangerous policy that would make our communities Less safe. I think we need to stand uh, with the men and women of law enforcement. I think tone is important in those regards. I think that's why uh, I was able to earn the endorsement of all six sheriffs, uh, Democrats and Republicans alike, across Southeast Wisconsin, that make up the first congressional district. Um, you know, he supports what he calls free tuition. I flag that free tuition just means somebody else is paying for it. I offer a real solution, like we've worked on on the University of Wisconsin Board of Regents where what we did was actually address the substantive cost of the product to make that educational product more accessible and more affordable uh, to families uh, regardless of your upbringing, but make that product accessible and affordable so individuals can obtain that education to really prepare them for the jobs of the future. And so the contrast between my opponent and I on policy could not be more clear, which is why I believe he's resorting to name-calling identified now by the Washington Post as being uh, inaccurate. And rather than having a conversation about the policies between the two of us, because I think his far-left policies uh, functionally disqualify him uh, for office when you look at how far uh, left these are, how dangerous they are to the safety of our communities, et cetera.
1: Looking at the the record of Congress, uh, you, you mentioned the tax reforms and, and that being something that you're pleased with. I think that's something that Republican voters in general can point to and say, this is what we were looking for. On the other hand, healthcare and immigration are two issues that continue to just keep coming back and keep coming back. What would you do in Congress and what would you hope to see Congress do on those particular fronts uh, if, if you're elected?
2: So so break the two down. Is um, you look at immigration, our legal immigration system is broken. Um, and because of the broken legal immigration system, we have a, a significant illegal immigration uh, side of it that that is a result of that. And so I think what we need to do is step one, you need to secure the border. Uh, and then step two is on the other side of that, have a really, a, a hard look at our legal immigration system, and in particular what, I, what I've what i advocated for um, is our legal immigration system needs to be tied to our workforce needs such that individuals who come to the United States are able to step in day one uh, and have, you know, solid jobs that add value uh, into uh, the United States out of the gates. And that's, that's one of the core aspects, I think, that isn't uh, prioritized in a sufficient way in our current uh, immigration system it would add a lot of value to society as a whole by bringing in individuals that immediately fill into uh, our nation's workforce needs. Um, two is the healthcare question. Is I look at healthcare and I think we touched on this a little earlier. The contrast between my opponent and I couldn't be more clear. So he advocates a government takeover of healthcare, uh, where the government is the priority on decision making. So. You know, your current health care plan, if you are provided by your employer, uh, would be illegal. I would destabilize uh, Medicare. It's a $32 trillion program to scope how you would pay for that. Just to scope what that means, you would have to double, double all income and corporate taxes to pay for the plan advocated by my opponent. On the alternative, if you put forth a patient and doctor-centered approach, you can lower the cost of care and improve quality. And So an example of that would be utilizing HSA. So maybe an example uh, of where that is. So when I was a student uh, here at the University of Wisconsin, um, I had my own uh, health insurance plan. It was a high-deductible plan. Uh, And so for the first time ever, I was in control of my health care dollars and had to make health care decisions on my own behalf. That's I mean, a pretty healthy guy. So I will use an example of me going to shop for a dentist, and so I went to the dentist I used my whole life and said, "Well, now I'm going to pay out of pocket." And so I'd like to know what a teeth cleaning and an X-ray would cost. I've done that's all I need. That's what I've done every year. He said, "I'm not able to tell you." I said, "I'm not sure I follow that, right?" So I need to have my teeth cleaned. I need an X-ray. I've done it every year. I'm going to pay out of pocket. It's not going to go through insurance. I'd like to know what it costs. He said, "I couldn't tell you." I said, "Well, I, I can't can't go to your service anymore, right? I'm not going to take a flight to Denver." and then get off the plane and then ask what they're charging me. I want to know before I get on the plane what that what that flight's going to cost. Sure. Pretty reasonable. And so anyways, I shopped around and ultimately found a dentist that matched my needs for quality and price. So it wasn't the lowest price provider, it wasn't the highest price provider, it was an appropriate match of quality and price. And so by putting individuals in charge of their healthcare decisions, we can lower the cost of healthcare. And improve quality. Now, just to be clear, that doesn't apply in every single situation. So there's obviously catastrophic events. You get in a car accident, you have a heart attack. That's not where I'm advocating individuals should go out and make a cost-benefit analysis decision. That's taking that argument obviously too far. And so, but there's definitely areas in our healthcare structure where we can have individual choice drive the cost of healthcare down and improve quality. Uh, we need to begin working on that to make the cost of healthcare come down Uh, So it's actually more accessible uh, to working families across Wisconsin.
1: Is is the conversation still about repeal and replace Obamacare, or does it kind of take on a new tone at this point after efforts to do that haven't worked out? Um, Obviously, they they did work in the House. It just didn't go through in the Senate. I guess, what what do you think the focus ought to be at this point?
2: More than anything, the focus needs to be on how do we get the cost of health care under control. And so that's the frustration. And that was what I view as the empty promise of Obamacare. So Obamacare came in and it was heavily advertised it was going to reduce costs. And what we've seen is the opposite. I think it drove cost up. And so what we need to stay focused on is, okay, Obamacare drove the cost of health care up. The, the alternative offered by my opponents, a government takeover of health care. I think that drives costs significantly higher. And so I'm advocating an approach that is patient and doctor-centered uh, to ultimately drive down the cost of health care while improving the quality of care
1: let's go to your uh, experience in the education world you mentioned you were appointed to the board of regents for the uw system a couple of years ago what have you learned from that experience what do you take from you know the uw system well from your education there and your uh, sort of governing that as a, as a regent and how do you bring that into uh, relevance in washington
2: Probably first and foremost is how to work with colleagues from all different backgrounds. So as I joined the board, there were Doyle appointees or Walker appointees, uh, in a very collegial group. Right? I mean, people weren't grandstanding and yelling and screaming. People were trying to figure out how do we make decisions in the best interest of students. And so I had a great conversation with one of my colleagues, and we were discussing, you know, what, what's the thought process as you analyze each and every one of the votes? And we were saying, you know, if you put the question of is this in the best interest of students first and foremost – then the decision-making process actually becomes quite simplistic. Sure. You, you take every issue that comes before you and you say, you know, if, is this in the best interest of students? If it is, you vote yes. If it's not, you vote no. We're not going to agree 100% of the time, but that's the, that's the question to be asked rather than what's what's these third-party groups say, what are these outside, what's the noise, what's the chattering class believe you got to park that and put that to the side. And so if you take that same approach to Washington and you take each and every vote and you say, is this in the best interest of people here in, in southeast Wisconsin? If, it, if the answer is yes, you vote yes. If it's no, you vote no. It becomes a much more simplistic way to analyze each and every vote. And what we've seen in Washington, Democrats and Republicans alike, there's too many individuals that listen to the noise. They wanna know what does the chattering class say? They wanna know what does this outside interest say? They wanna know this and that, rather than asking a very simplistic question, which is, is this in the best interest of my constituents? Uh, And if you ask that question, you always say, I'll do what's in the best interest of Wisconsin, first and foremost. One, you'll have a much more collegial operation as to how the decision-making process goes, because if you disagree with someone, you can have that conversation openly and honestly as to why you disagree. But two, you'll actually get more work done on behalf of the American people, and that's actually – and and that's at its core what we're trying to accomplish.
1: Before you even entered the race, the 1st Congressional District was going to be a subject of national attention, and probably it was even more so before you entered the race because it was uh, Democrats trying to take out the Speaker of the House. That's not the case anymore, but you've got the – The national celebrity of the Iron Stash and the lingering interests of of this still being Paul Ryan's old district. How has the nationalization of this race affected the way you approach things? Has it affected it?
2: I don't think there's a big difference by the national spotlight uh, on this race. I think it, uh, it just brightens everything up a little bit, but you still operate the same way. I mean, it's still the same conversations you're having with individuals every day. I think on the, on the other side, you see a little bit of a liberal's who's who uh, coming into the district. So Bernie Sanders uh, was in Janesville campaigning against me. New York City Mayor Bill de Blasio uh, was in Kenosha a few weeks ago. Uh, you know, Gwyneth Paltrow's in on this race, right? I mean, Nancy <laughs> right. Pelosi uh, was in Milwaukee. So the attention on the, on the left, fine, fair enough. Uh, but that just makes me work all the harder. Uh, And so it's, you know, pedal to the metal. Let's get this done. I'm out there at every community event I can get myself to. Uh, I'm going to a a high school football game tonight to uh, go out and talk to voters and shake hands. And so it's one after the other uh, of items that I'm out there doing. Uh, And it's great. I've really enjoyed it. It's a great conversation with people. Um, And so maybe the spotlight's a little brighter on this race than others. Maybe not. Uh, But I don't think it has a big impact other than you just got to work your tail off. But I'd be doing that either way.
1: Sure. Yeah, this is this is a challenge. Maybe maybe an uphill battle. Maybe not. It's you know money versus the leanings of the district. You you never know how it's going to shake out. Um, I'm wondering if if there's been a time in your life before this where you've had sort of a significant obstacle that you've fought through or overcome that you can kind of bring to the way that you're approaching this race. Yeah,
2: you know, I think more than anything, I just throughout my life I've liked to like to think that uh, I'll work my tail off, and so. You know, I, I always say when I was growing up, you know, your, my parents always say you got to get your homework done. And so that that's true as a kid, but it's also true as an adult sure. that, you know, if you are willing to work hard and you're willing to be the one that at night is, you know, sitting there and reading the papers and getting ready for the next day, you're going to be the one that's one step ahead. And so as I look to Washington, same idea. You know, some people are reading these policies and putting in the time and putting in the thought and trying to make uh, the, you know our country a better place and trying to advance those policies. It's the one that does their homework, uh, that sits down and works hard, that's going to be able to excel. Um, and sometimes you see individuals that don't do that, uh, That grandstand, they like to be on cable TV talking about the issues but aren't really doing the homework, uh, that are far less impactful when it actually comes to getting policies done.
0: Wedge Issues is sponsored by Wispolitics.com. You can become a Wispolitics.com member. Find out more at Wispolitics.com slash membership.
1: Are you ready to move into the fun part? Sure. All right. What is your favorite Wisconsin beer? Yeah,
2: you know, I drink. I, Miller, if you came to my house, I'd have Miller Lite or uh, Miller High Life, but there is a Great Grey's uh, Oatmeal Stout That I often uh, break into on occasion. Gray's is uh, the local Janesville brewery, uh, for those that uh, don't know.
1: That is a good beer. I forget about that one sometimes, too. What is the best advice that your parents or another loved one gave you growing up?
2: You know, I'll go back to do your homework, right? I mean, actually go in and get the work done uh, when no one's looking, because that's what's going to pay off in the end.
1: You're obviously working hard. It's campaign season. If you were not running a race right now, what would a typical fall weekend look like for you?
2: I'd probably be, uh, I, I go out on my uh, my bike a lot and uh, get biking in. In the winter, I love to cross-country ski. So I've gone up to uh, the Berkabiner, I've skied the Quarter it up there. Um, I love cross-country skiing in the winter. And so this would be just about the start of when you got to start getting in, uh, in shape uh, for the winter uh, cross-country skiing season. So I'd probably be spending some time going out on runs or going on bike rides in between uh, Badger and uh, Packer football games.
1: <laughs> of course, yeah. Do you have uh, any political role models that shape the way you approach this?
2: You know, if I had to pick a role model, I'd probably say Tommy Thompson. I'd say that uh, in large part because of his work ethic. Uh, I don't think anybody loved the state of Wisconsin uh, any more than Tommy Thompson (laughs) loves the state of Wisconsin. I don't think anybody works harder uh, than that guy. Uh, And you really saw uh, him. You know, he was the governor, you know, when I grew up. Um, and you just you saw him everywhere, right? He was almost ubiquitous, right? I mean, how did he cover the state like he did? <laughs> yeah. Um, and you look at somebody that works that hard, that loves that state that much, and I think that really resonates.
1: Again, you're campaigning, don't have a lot of time for leisure, I'm sure. Uh, what's either the, the last book you read or maybe one of the more, uh, a book that had a really big impact on you? Because. If you ask me the last book I read, I don't know if I could tell you either. <laughs> so, I,
2: you know. I read, I, I enjoy reading uh, biographies. I was uh, not that long ago reading the biography of Andrew Jackson. Uh, you know, fascinating individual. Uh, his, his life and, you know, the ups and downs and how he came to uh, Washington and how he had an impact uh, and really changed things up. Uh, just a fascinating, fascinating read.
1: Do you have any pet peeves?
2: Pet peeves? Boy, probably when people don't drive with cruise control when you're on the interstate, <sighs> yeah. right? I mean, just just pick your speed. You can go fast, you can go slow. You're not going to upset me, but just pick. <laughs> yeah. If you want to go fast, go fast. If you want to go slow, go slow. But but the fast and then slow, slow and then fast. Yeah. Uh, how about that for a pet peeve? That
1: is a really good pet peeve. I'm with you on that. <laughs> um, do you have any actual pets?
2: I don't. I uh, My mother growing up uh, was allergic uh, to pets, so we didn't have pets growing up. Uh, and so I have not, uh, not gotten a pet yet. Okay.
1: Um, what is the best concert you've attended and or the first concert you went to?
2: You know, one of my best concerts I ever went to uh, was Ben Fold's Five. Yeah. Uh, before it was Ben Fold's, it uh-huh. was Ben Fold's Five. Uh, and Ben Fold uh, is an amazing pianist and a great performer. And uh, there's a song, uh, Narcolepsy, where it kind of goes and comes and he's as if he's falling asleep. And so I, I remember very clearly, this is, this is a ways back, maybe 20 years ago. And he climbed up on the piano as if he was falling asleep, oh my God. but continued to sing and play the song. And so he, if you can envision this, right, he laid down across the piano, <laughs> reaching backwards, and was playing the oh piano backwards because he was on the piano, reaching down into the keys and was still continuing the song. And then as that song then builds and crescendos back up, and the song is narcolepsy, now he's waking back up, if you can kind of envision this. And he starts fully playing the piano backwards. And you could look at the skill set. I I, I I tried uh, to play piano for years as a kid. Uh, <laughs> I can't even fathom playing it backwards. And you realize the skill set that that individual had to be singing, to be functionally acting, uh, and to be playing the piano backwards uh, was unbelievable. I, if, if he did it, I'd go to another concert from that guy.
1: <laughs> so cool. Yeah. Yeah, you think you can, like, handle an instrument and then you see someone like that play and just – yeah. You can't even come close. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs>
2: I'm staring at my fingers when I play the piano, which yeah, tells you that, that I'm not very good at
1: right. it. Right. <laughs> do you play any other instruments? Is that That's, yeah.
2: about, that's yeah. about it. I mean, I tried to play drums for a year or two, and I think yeah. that was probably just to drive my sisters nuts. <laughs> I think it was effective, but uh, I was clearly uh, never a guy who was going to be the leader of the, uh, the drum corps. Sure.
1: <laughs> uh, okay, so if you had a Wisconsin bucket list, something you associate with Wisconsin that you've never done before, you would like to do, what would that be?
2: Boy, I would love to uh, kayak out to the Apostle Islands. Uh, that just looks awesome. Yeah. Um, I was up at the Apostle Islands uh, a handful of years ago during the winter, uh, and so I drove out uh, out to the Apostle Islands as it's frozen. There's yeah. one of the islands yeah. you can drive out yeah. to. Uh, went out and did that, um, but I've never kayaked, and I would love the opportunity on a, a calm day, because you know if it's windy, you can't do it. so I mean there's some some weather conditions. I'd love to go out to uh, Wisconsin's only uh, national park yeah. out at the uh, the Apostle Island National Park.
1: That would be very cool. Uh, are you ready for your last lightning round question?
2: We got one more. let's do it. All
1: right. What's your favorite Wisconsin cheese?
2: I, I'd probably go with an aged cheddar. Uh, There's a Hook's Creamery that you can get around here. You can get it in Janesville, I know you can get it up in Madison. Mm -hmm. Um, Hook's has an awesome aged cheddar. Um, It's just how do you not go with a solid cheddar? And I'll take it one step further and go with Hook's aged cheddar that's uh, just an awesome awesome cheese. That
1: is I was just talking about that cheese earlier today. Do you have a favorite year? I love Wisconsin. You know, follow that up you're...
2: with <laughs> only in Wisconsin somebody right. then follow that up with. I was just talking about that particular cheese. I was cuz I today. was we were
1: looking back on it. they did the the 20 year release like in like 2015 and it was just you you get um so I I had the uh, Lieutenant Governor Rebecca Clayfish on recently mm. and uh, we talked about the little crystals that you get in the aged cheeses when you get that little crunch and the 20 year had the most amazing it was the crunchiest cheese it was the crunchiest, had. Right. yeah um do you do you have a year that you prefer with the hooks or are you just all in on all the hooks
2: boy yeah no yeah. I, I don't think yeah. i could break it down at your level you're taking it one step beyond me to know I the difference heard. i just went <laughs> aged
1: <laughs> you you still went farther than most people will so i i applaud that um well, I will let you wrap us up with any closing message. You can ask for votes, make your last sell, whatever you want to do.
2: Yeah, to your listeners in Southeast Wisconsin, I mean, this is going to be a, a tough election. A lot's at stake. I'd be, uh, I'd love to earn the trust and confidence and uh, the vote of those listening from Southeast Wisconsin. Uh, this election, there's a lot at stake, and you know, I hope individuals. Really take the time and study uh, the candidates. Obviously, folks listening to this podcast are probably educated on the issues; they're interested in it. And there's a lot at stake. And um, you know, we're working our tails off uh, every day to earn the trust and confidence of the voters, and going to continue to do that all the way through November
0: 6th. Thank
1: you for listening to Wedge Issues. Our theme music is Oh, Wisconsin by Loxley. We'll be back every Friday with new episodes, so make sure you're subscribed on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like the show, you can leave a rating or a review. You can do that if you don't like it too, but it's less fun for me. If you have any feedback or suggestions, you can find me on Twitter at Jesse Opie, J-E-S-S-I-E-O-P-I-E, or you can email me at J O P O I E N. At Madison.com. When you're all caught up on wedge issues, you can check out some other Cap Times podcasts like The Corner Table and the Mad Splainers. We'll be back next week. We'll see you then.
0: Wedge Issues has been brought to you by Wispolitics.com. There are plenty of benefits to becoming a member. You can go to Wispolitics.com membership to find out more.